You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, you're killing them, Smalls. It's Jeff McLarge, huge. <laughs> hey, everybody. How you doing? How you doing, Bill? I'm fine, thank you. All right. Hey, so guess what I'm doing next month? Uh, Getting ready for September. Well, yeah. Wait, that is September. It is September, yeah. Next month is September, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I have sometimes, a, I thought the end of the month, I don't know why I thought it was October, November mixed, mixed together. That doesn't make any sense. Right. That would be Novocto, or <laughs> October, no. so. Yeah, no, we're we're barreling head first towards my favorite time of the year, September, where I work roughly 75 to 80 hours a week, plus doing the podcast, uh, and I work at a you know my normal job plus a Renaissance fair plus the haunted houses. No, but right. also next month I am sandwiching in there somewhere my first concert in about two years. Wow! Yeah, what, that's amazing. Where, who, well, before I ask who you're going to see, mm-hmm. what venue are you going to be seeing them at? I have no idea what it's called this year. Uh, there is a venue in Boston, Massachusetts that they tend to change the name of it. Uh, as often as the acts play there. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was called like Sea Harbor Lights at one time or something. It's a semi-outdoor venue. Okay. It's on the water. Do you know the one I'm talking about? I do not. No, oh. I don't know that. I've done the Boston thing in like the House of Blues. and Yeah, it's not that area of Boston. This is on the water. Yeah, it's on the water. Uh, I saw Faith No More there. I also saw Devo there. It's a pretty good, you know, it's a good size venue. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah maybe, cool. maybe about 6,000 uh, people. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is big. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's not an arena, but it's not a, a club. Yeah, either. it's not yeah. a club, right. Yeah. Harbor Lights, I think it was called at one year, too. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm going to see Ace Frehley and Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper being the oh. Alice Cooper being the headliner, yeah. Yeah, if it was the other way around, I'd think that you'd fall into an alternate universe. So. Yeah, yeah, Alice Cooper was always like a bucket list band for me to see. And I saw him probably about maybe 10 years ago at Foxwoods, a casino. Mm-hmm. And he put on a fantastic show. Have you ever seen him live? Uh, he was the very first act I ever saw live wow. where my parents weren't present. Oh, no kidding. To see Motorhead open for Alice Cooper. Oh, uh, at the Providence Veterans Memorial Auditorium. Oh, and this is like okay. That was your first big boy concert. So this is like 1988 or something. It oh. was when he was on the Raise Your Fist and Yell tour. Oh, that album's a killer too. It is. It's a great record. And yeah. that was when he was still at the height of his. I mean, he, I'm not saying he puts on a bad show. Now he doesn't. No, he does. He puts on a great show. But this is like when he had a lot of people. Right. A lot of people on stage. He had like the big muscular guitar player guy. Kane Roberts. Yep, Kane Roberts. And he had a whole bunch of like 
set pieces. They did the guillotine thing and the hanging thing and the spider girl thing and the whole bunch of there was a whole bunch of stuff. It was amazing. You who played bass for not I don't think it was that album. I think it was the album before Constrictor. Do you know who was playing bass at that point in time? No. Kip Winger. Huh. It was a fantastic show. And then I saw him again in 2012 when he opened for Iron Maiden. Oh, that's a good bill. Holy cow. Yeah. And that was when uh, his lead guitar player was that Orianthe girl. Yes. Who was supposed to tour with Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson went to the great homemade zoo with the <laughs> elephant man in the sky or whatever. He went to Never Neverland, yeah. So, yeah, I saw Alice Cooper maybe like about 10 years ago. Like I said, fantastic show. I really like the fact that he doesn't talk at all in between songs. That yeah. That's part of the Alice Cooper character. Yep. Alice Cooper, the man goes golfing and and goes golfing and and then sneaks in a quick golf game when he can but alice cooper the character is yeah you don't want to meet you don't want to meet him in a dark alley he's a he's a not a nice person nope and then ace fraley i saw ace fraley perform in my hometown a couple of years ago whenever my friend called me up saying that he had gotten tickets for cooper and fraley i go how late do you think ace fraley's gonna show up (laughs) he's notoriously late he was like 45 minutes late for the gig that we saw him over in new bedford like i said he was in my hometown it's like what were you doing? There's not a lot to do in this city. You're off getting a bafana in Sagres up at one of the <laughs> North End Portuguese restaurants. Or maybe around the corner getting a burrito with no probs. Right. There you go. No probs. Hey, can I get one without the beans in it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rip it out. One, two, three, four. Okay. Uh, before we get on with the show proper, I have my award-winning and always very well-received trivia question for you. Have you ever read the book Pinocchio, the originals? I have not that I remember. Okay. I, I did it as an audiobook. It was it wasn't actually one book originally. It was a, a series of like short stories that were like combined. That was like pub- right. published in a newspaper or something like that. Now yeah. the original texts are in Italian. Now the name Pinocchio, we you think Pinocchio, I think of the you know, the Disney cartoon and all that. But Pinocchio is actually not a name. It actually translates to something, and it just kind of changes the whole dynamic of the story. What does Pinocchio mean? Like, it's not a name, it's a description? Kind of a thing, yeah. Well, so he was like a little wooden puppet guy who was a good liar. So, I don't know, a lion little sack of sawdust? Yes, a little wooden asshole. <laughs> yeah, you gotta read that book, dude. He's a dick. <laughs> Pinocchio, not not a good character. Alright, but anyway, no, that's not... It doesn't translate to little wooden asshole. Um, but I will tell you the translation at the end of the show. All right. But this is the beginning of the show. This is the week beginning August the 16th, and I believe it is your turn to start. August the 16th, 1975, Peter Gabriel, the creative force behind the prog rock years of Genesis, decides to go off and do his own thing as a solo artist, leaving the remaining members of Genesis as a three-piece. So he quits Genesis. Oh. Yeah. I'm the rare person that says, like, I think that they were all better for it. Sure. Peter Gabriel went on to a hugely successful career in the 1980s, and so did Genesis without Peter Gabriel. Right. When I first like encountered the story of their breakup, I thought it was a lot more acrimonious than it was. I didn't realize that like Phil Collins paid, played drums on Peter Gabriel's first record and stuff, and that they still talked. And Oh, wow. 
I didn't know that did either. Some, yeah, they did some stuff together in the in after that. And at <laughs> first, I thought there was a, a whole lot of like real dislike between the band members, but that that turns out not to be have been the case. Guess it all comes down to money talks, you know. I mean, Peter Gabriel in Genesis. There's still a lot of people that have like a real love for that era. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is a classic prog rock album. Yeah, so is Foxtrot. Right, but yeah, but Peter Gabriel at that time was like super weird. It was like real heavy on the theatrics. Like if, yep. if you know Genesis as people tend to know Genesis, the Phil Collins years, to find out what they were like prior to the Phil Collins years will shock you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it shocked me because, again, I was introduced to Genesis as a kid. Mm-hmm. It was with Abacab, which is like yes. the second record they did without Peter Gabriel. Right? Second or third. And I was like, oh, this is great. It's still my favorite of all of their records combined years is that one record. Yeah, Ab- and- Abacab, the song itself is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. His career is just as weird as a solo artist as it was in Genesis. It's just more poppy. Yeah, it's weird in a different way. Yeah. Peter Gabriel is definitely one person that benefited from music videos. Yeah, yes. I don't think Sledgehammer would have done half as well as a single if it didn't have that cool-ass video to go with it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that he made an impact with the record before that one. Right, that's the one, the with, one with Shock the Monkey. With Shock the Monkey, right. which for me at least is the only memorable song on that record. I remember that song really well because I really liked it. Yeah. And the other song that I remember is only because of the name is like The Family in the Fishing Net. And a lot of other songs that are sort of borrow world music cues and stuff. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It never gelled with me like in the eighties, nineties. I like him a lot more now. Right, right. But he was definitely had a finger in that sort of Caribbean and African and Indian and 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 other influences as he was making his subsequent post Genesis records. Unfortunately, he kind of got wrapped up in that. I'm not gonna say it was him. It was probably the record company. But all of his music videos after Sledgehammer had to be these like real big budget special effect stuff. You know. Yeah, Big Time was like that. That was. Another great song from so. Yeah, like you said, I think everybody it worked out better for everybody. It's it's not like the uh, you know not like Chicago's breakup or right you know anything that ever happened with Van Halen ever. It worked out better for everybody. I, I agree, and I I think as much fun as Genesis gets made of for being like a, an uber pop band, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong really with being an uber pop band. I don't I don't think that kind you know? that kind of music doesn't exist anymore. It, it really, it really doesn't. You know, True. Yeah, top forty rock like that doesn't really exist anymore. I, I'd argue with you. I'd, in fact, I'd bet a pepperoni pizza or a vegetarian pepperoni pizza with you that I could make the argument that Coldplay is the only thing that fills that niche right now. Okay, and I'm going to make the argument with you that Coldplay hasn't been relevant in twenty years. I agree, <laughs> but I think that they still fill that niche. Well, you said right you know. now, so yeah. Well, they have a record out that's out right now. That's that's. Okay. Has singles on it that are, are in pop radio. <laughs> Alleged singles. <laughs> Alleged singles. All right, let's get on to the next day. Uh, this is a really kind of crazy story. August the 17th, 1957, a baseball player named Richie Ashburn fouls and hits a fan named Alice Roth right in the face. <laughs> Ow. Yeah. Ow. So he was playing, he was at bat playing for the Philadelphia Phillies and hits a, a foul ball out, out into the uh, stands, uh, hits this pro girl Alice right in the face, breaks her nose. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, that does suck. So as they're carrying her out in a stretcher, he's still at bat. I guess you don't, 
I don't. I guess you don't get a first base, uh, you know, automatic first base by hitting somebody in the in the mush. Right. So while he's at bat, he hits another foul ball, and guess who it hits? <laughs> Does it hit the same person it hit, as Alice? It Roth? hit Alice Roth again in the head. Oh no! She, That's so funny. She must. If that was me, I would have been like pulling myself off the gurney, like you mother. Just come here! I'm here! I'll kick your ass for you. <laughs> so it's funny. Like um, Richie Ashburn was was known for being a what's called a spray hitter. Okay, he was like a line drive guy who typically hit singles. Right. So get on base or advance guy from first base to second. That was his whole job. Right. So when you're a line drive hitter, even your foul balls tend to be line drive. So it must have been it must have been it must have been something else to see. I don't know if it was in '57 or or if it was in. A couple years before, after, but he had like more hit, more singles than any other player in in uh, Major League Baseball. Oh wow! For a couple of years, like he was he was really well known for that. The woman that he hit, Alice Roth, was actually the wife of the sp- the sports editor for the local the paper, the Philadelphia Bulletin. That's what you get for talking <laughs> shit. <laughs> so like one of those like write another bad one about me and I'll hit your kid next. <laughs> um, yeah, it turns out that you know after after this, uh, she and him became friends, and and Alice and her husband's son became the bat boy for the Phillies. I don't know, some years later, and it's just one of those weird things. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody get drilled in the face with a foul ball. I have. Oh, have you? Uh, yeah, I, had a, I was in a minor league game for our minor league team here. I used to spend a lot of time in the summer when my kids were little, taking them to see the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. And I saw a lady just, she was staring at her iPhone, <laughs> and it hit her hand, and she, it like she punched herself in the face with her iPhone and broke her nose oh. and probably her eye socket. There was a tremendous amount of blood. Oh. From oh, that, oh. it was awful. Yeah, you, it almost put me off my seven hot dogs that I was eating. When you break your nose, yeah, it just it doesn't stop bleeding. You can't even get up. Like they had, they stretched that lady off. She didn't get hit with a second foul ball, but <laughs> seriously, they came and they like World War One style, like threw on a stretcher and took her away, and then they came down and bleached the stairs and everything and, to clean up the. Blood. And like your whole face closes up, like a like an anaphylaxis yeah. shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Like you could see the stitches from the ball, you know, the red <laughs> stitching on the ball, right in the back of her head. <laughs> I remember one time, though, we were in high school, and there was a hockey game, like the teachers versus the varsity thing, and there was a slap shot that landed, like it hit the wall that I was standing at, like Mm -hmm. not even three feet from my face, like it just smacked the wall over there, like I was one yard away from you feeding me applesauce for the rest of my life. All right, next up on the 18th, what do we got? Uh, okay, so uh, August 18th, 1988, friend of the show and future U.S. Vice President Dan Quayle <laughs> says, let me just tell you how thrilling it really is and how, what a challenge it is, because in 1988, the question is whether we're going to forward to tomorrow or whether we're going back to the past. Oh, okay. So that's a big bunch of gobbledygook. Yep. And it, in, on, in and of itself, it doesn't sound like it's funny. But if you've ever seen the movie Plan 9 from Outer Space, <laughs> it sounds like the introduction. You've seen that movie, right? Uh, yeah, once. We, we watched it together, actually. You want to hear the opening to that? Yeah. To compare the two quotes? Sure. All right. So let me, let me go back and do the Dan Quayle quote first. Let me just tell you how thrilling it really is and how, what a challenge it is. Because in 1988, the question is whether we're going forward to tomorrow or whether we're going to go back to the past. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. (laughs) (laughs) Not too different. 
And I guess if you're going to crib from someone and spew gobbledygook, there's worse people than Edward D. Wood Jr. But uh, <laughs> there's so much comparison between those two quotes and the gobbledygook that came out of them that's so funny. That would have been great if, like, on the other side of the uh, the debate stage, if somebody was like, you see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. <laughs> stupid. Stupid. <laughs> yes. Or, like, somebody dressed like Bella Lugosi going, pull the strings. <laughs> pull the strings. So that was like that other guy there that was running for president. You remember Herman Cain? <laughs> yes. He, With the 999 plan. Yeah, he had the 999 plan, which was like basically lifted out of a video game. I forget which. It was like <laughs> out of Sim City or something like that. And then he like like read this poem or this this he said this like lyrics from his favorite song. But it ended up being like from the Pokemon movie or something. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> we live in the strangest world, Bill. It's a world of it's a world of confusion. You really have to remember, and like now in 2021, I mean, Herman Cain's no longer with us, but you got to remember in 2021 that everybody can fact check you in a heartbeat. <laughs> if you find yourself giving a speech and you're stumbling through like a really long and seemingly complicated paragraph, be aware that someone knows that that came from a Yu-Gi-Oh card show <laughs> or a cartoon. You know, if you think you're going to get away with like. Ripping something off from Voltron. You are not. I look to my friend, R. Ducky, who makes bath time lots of fun. <laughs> is that what I'm supposed to make? Is that the noise I'm supposed to make? It doesn't say here. It's a confusing destruction. All right. We're going to get on to the 19th, August the 19th of 1979. Post-punk band known as The Knack hits number one with their hit song, My Sharona, which stays at number one for six weeks. And you'd think that having a number one song, they would have gotten the knack of staying famous. But they yeah, did somehow not. they did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the knack came and went so fast it messed up all the papers on my desk. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were kind of a one-hit wonder. They had a few albums. They had a follow-up single called Good Girls Don't. Yeah, and good song. Yeah, it was okay, but it didn't chart very well. Nope. But My Shimona was like a huge hit. Yeah. And it's an earworm. That's the thing about that song. You hear that, and you're like, oh, I'm humming that for the rest of my life. Yeah. I, as Bill and I have both uh, referenced in the past, we both used to have the KTEL, some KTEL records as kids. Yeah. And we were talking uh, before the show about how this song, I think it was the, wasn't the opener on side one, but it might have been the second song. It was on there. On, it was definitely on that on album. The, on, yeah. On Rock 80. And I'm like, it was on Rock 80. Yep. And it, it, defi it definitely was. They had a music video in, I guess, it, they did one for like 82. Because I remember seeing the music video for this song, even though it was two years old. Mm -hmm. It always reminded me, just a few years later, when a different band had the same sort of trajectory. Do you remember the Romantics? Yes. I saw... Um... Like, what I, what I like about you is a lot like they sort of follow the same trajectory as the Knack. So they had that song, which was really popular. They had one other song that was, eh, it's kind of popular. And then... Then they were gone. Right. Did a little bit better than the knack, uh, but yeah, not a lot. I saw one of the guys from the Romantics, not the guy who was saying what I like about you. That was the drummer. But yeah. one of the guitar players uh, was in Ringo Starr's All-Star Band when I saw them. Oh, yep. oh that's And cool. even though that wasn't his song to sing, they still did that song because why not? That's the song you know. Our friend over here, Doug Figer, I'm going to guess his last name, yep. Figer. Yes. He did a lot of stuff afterwards. Do you remember Was Not Was? Do you remember that band? God, I remember the name. Yeah. What was the, what's, what singles did they They had have? that song, open the door, get on the floor, everybody walk the dinosaur. 
Oh, God, yeah, I remember that song. Yeah. That was a strange song. That was a strange song with a band with a very strange name. I remember, like, a lot of, like, synthesized horns in that song, yes. right? Yeah. That was, like, I think that band was, like, a co- like a collective. Like, it was a bunch of people. Yeah, from, super Yeah, kind of a thing, yeah. Well, yeah, he was a part of Was Not Was. He sang a couple of songs on that album. And then everybody's favorite replacement guitarist for Kiss, Bruce Kulick, <laughs> who's, like, an amazing session musician for, like, like generally speaking... Bruce Kulick works with a bunch of people, but our friend Doug Figer over here worked with Bruce Kulick. Bruce Kulick put out an album in 2010, and Doug Figer sang lead vocals on a song called Dirty Girl. A dirty girl named Sharona. We talked about this before. My immediate mental model of him and Bruce Kulick working together was that they both found themselves in a studio working for somebody else. (laughs) Oh, hey, what's your name? I remember you from the neck. Hey, we got like about... 30 minutes left on the session, so I get, I get paid by the hour. I don't know about you. Tape we got left on that spool. All right, moving on to the 20th. August 20th, 1977. NASA, our favorite space agency, mm-hmm. launches Voyager 2 to study the outer planets, including Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus. And Uranus! <laughs> it's the fastest traveling, furthest traveling man-made item it's the only man-made item that's ever left the solar system. I think it's in or through the Oort cloud now and still sending back data. That's the one with the gold record on it, right? It is the one with the gold record on it, which some hostile alien species is going to find and use as a map to come here and destroy us all. But yes, <laughs> that's exactly the one. with the, And it has like a couple Beatles songs on it too. So they, depending on the period of the Beatles that the aliens like, yeah. they'll either come in friendly or they'll come in and be like, murder them all. <laughs> Holding hands is an offense to our race. <laughs> Remember that Far Side cartoon where it was like a bunch of aliens and their head all looked like hands and the guy doomed the human race by grabbing it by the head and shaking it? (laughs) That's what's going to happen to us thanks to Voyager 2. It also is sort of part of, um, I don't know if you ever saw Star Trek The Motion Picture, but it was Voyager 2 that crashed into some... Oh, yeah. Probe outside of the solar system and became V'ger and then came back as the antagonist in the film to figure out, I guess, sterilize Earth or something. So, And we were talking about anthology series a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the new Outer Limits. So Marlene Matlin was in it, and she's a, a deaf actress, and she was playing a deaf character, but she was picking up signals from like a passing by UFO that had found us by way of Voyager 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like a, it, she, it was sending like a distress signal. Yeah, it was a really good episode. It's a, it's an amazing piece of technology, and it, it spawned an awful lot of mention in science fiction, sort of, I don't know, fandom, I guess, media, TV, books, etc. Yep. It's an amazing uh, instrument that will eventually bring about our destruction. Yep, and yeah, it's also on a record player. Great. <laughs> right. I need a new needle. All right, so plugging along to the 21st, August the 21st of 1996, Netscape 3.0 Internet Browser makes its way uh, to the um, Internet. <laughs> this is like early, early, early days of of the Internet. Right. Most people get to the Internet at that time by way of AOL. Yep. And Our CompuServe or Prodigy, I think, were the three that were big. Right. Walled Garden systems. Yeah, and, uh, but AOL just like dominated you know, for most of the time. You started getting other people that were using other services that weren't walled gardens. So you needed a, a browser to get onto the internet. AOL had its own like little browser 
uh, involved, which was terrible. I know a lot of people that use, and I was one of them, that used AOL just to get onto the internet and then would open up Netscape to do their browsing. And that that's how most people sort of escaped the walled garden. Yep. When it became available, I, I remember going from America Online to uh, another company called IDT, which was Independent Discount Telephone. Oh, other yeah. Brand. I remember them. Yeah. That was owned by Mark Cuban, the guy that owns the Dallas Mavericks um, now. Oh, That's right. where he made his millions and upon millions of dollars. Oh, no kidding. Was, was owning IDT. I think I actually talked to him on the phone when I ordered it. That's how long ago I oh, got wow. that service. I got it right when it was coming out. And... Um, and that shipped with the Netscape browser. The Netscape browser was free. I don't know why that was. It was the weirdest model I've ever experienced for anything, but effectively free software. Mm-hmm. And it gave you an unfiltered access to the internet. If you could figure out how to find it, you could get there. I remember some of my computer like elitist friends would talk very highly about using Netscape. Like, uh, oh, I don't, I don't use Internet Explorer, please. And Netscape was the one to go to. I think one of the advantages of Netscape was at that time, downloads took forever. You know, listen, kids, when you complain about slow internet connection, you don't know the struggle because it would literally take about an hour at that time to download a three-minute song. Uh, And the beauty with Netscape, if I remember correctly, was you could pause downloads. A couple of different things that let you that let you do that, but that was one of the features in the Netscape browser. And the other thing too is it had a built-in mail client. Oh, which all right. which there was a standalone mail program in AOL, but there was a built-in mail client in Netscape, and you could attach. Gosh, I, I'm trying to go back to all of these like prehistoric internet archive acronyms but like chat program called mirc yeah there was icq as well that was built and it would run inside of the netscape browser and it wouldn't run in the aol browser and it wouldn't run in the internet explorer oh it was proprietary the first the first couple of versions then it would run in all of them as a separate client but the netscape was the one that started to realize people are going to use this but they're also going to want access to their email and they're going to want to be able to chat with people so if we can keep them all in one place that'll make it easier for people to sort of switch out of using this walled garden. Yep. And then sooner or later, Google Chrome came out and that was the end of everybody else, essentially. Kind of, sort of. They got bought and then uh, all the people that worked on it started the Mozilla Foundation. So you can still effectively get Netscape. Right, yeah. But it's Mozilla Browser. Mozilla, that's Firefox, right? Yep. Yep. I honestly don't know anybody that uses that. Everybody I know just uses Chrome. I use Firefox. I have it. It's not my primary browser. But it is it is one that I have, and I, I I do use it. Sometimes it's just to check how pages look, browser to browser. Right. And that was a thing that was an issue back in the early days too. When you were coding HTML, you had to code it for specific browsers because they showed fonts a certain way and text a certain layout way okay, and whatever. Yeah. There were certain tags that you had to put in that would tell the browser like, hey, I know you're a Netscape browser. If it's if you're Netscape, do this. If you're an Explorer, do that. Okay. So that the the formatting would be retained properly. And that's less of an issue now with like HTML5 and other standard standards. Yeah, thankfully the standards. All the old web pages, remember like the GeoCities web pages and stuff like that? Yes. The early days of the internet, I mean, it's great now. You know, obviously technology moves in in a wonderful direction. But... There's something about those old early days of the internet that was just a little a little more interesting. I'm less curious now than I was then. I go to like five websites. Yeah. 
and that's you probably it. got double that I do, yeah. Back in the old days, it was like, well, if it's like, don't dream it, be it. If you can think about something to go look for, whether it's a Babylon 5 fan community, people who like comic books, you know, people who are ranking Robert Heinlein books, pictures of cats, like, you could go and find things. And it was I'm infinitely curious about what was around the world. Now it's like, I don't know what's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> back, back then, you just, like, typed in a something that you liked and wrote .com after it and hope for the best, yeah. All right, and wrapping up the week, we're moving on to August the 22nd. Hey, August the 22nd. Speaking of record albums, courtesy of, like, the Voyager 2, the very first platter-based record machine is released in 1906. It's uh, August 22nd, 1906. The Victor Victrola is manufactured for the first time, and that's an, a non-electric gramophone Okay. Uh, that played platter-shaped 78-speed records. That set the standard initially. That's the one that you think of when you think of like the old timey record players with like the big like megaphone hanging off of the needle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly the the Victrola gramophone and the trademark which they still use today. Although I don't know what company owns it because I don't think Victrola is anything but a brand now. Uh, is the dog looking into the that sound? amplifying cone with the phrase underneath his master's voice right Um, rca used that as their logo for the longest time it sets up an interesting arms race so the first of these things are like the edison cylinder right yeah that we talked about last week right so we talked about last week so it's a wax cylinder or a foil cylinder that can record a human voice and it's got kind of low fidelity but it's loud enough that you can hear it and you can store that speech to listen to later or store a little bit of music to listen to later the 78 format is runs at about the right speed to store one song on one side of one platter. Right. And initially, gramophone platters were one-sided. One side was flat and the other side had the song on it. And not only that, Victor uh, Victrola had to sell the record player. They also had to sell the platters because no one else had the patent to make them. They had to book the acts to record the music to be on the platters. And they had to market the platters and find a place for people to go and buy them. So they were essentially one whole enterprise revolved around selling music to people. And that's uh, what put that television uh, station out of business. Exactly. That's, exactly, yes. Um, an, uh, yeah, another victim of the proprietary format, right. Right. Ultimately, it, w- what happened was they opened the format up later. So if they had a market for years and years, and uh, before this time, as, we, as we've said before, popular music was sheet music. Right. And somebody in the house who could play piano, you know, that was like, you want to listen to some songs? Sure. Hold on. Let me, let me see what's in the piano bench. Agnes! <laughs> oh, Agnes! Yeah, right. All right. How about one more for the entertainer? How about if you play that song again, I'm going to break all your fingers. Yeah. Okay. So not the entertainer then. Like, so being able to have a platter of music that you like, again, popular music is just becoming a, a consumer thing. So the first records that they're releasing are, it's a piece of a concerto, or it's a piece of a symphony, or it's a piece of a waltz, or it's a full waltz that's three minutes long. So that nobody knows what the hell popular music is right. at this point, because it doesn't exist yet. And slowly but surely, they have to hire people, jazz, they end up hiring jazz musicians and stuff to record popular songs from sheet music at the day, and then sell their versions of them out as records my friend had a victrola like not the one with the cone though like the the sound came from like a cabinet but below it you know yeah you wound it up with a crank because it it wasn't electric and to increase the volume you open and close the doors below the the record player i don't know where they got it some antique store or whatever the hell I just remember them playing one song and the fidelity i mean the sound quality is not great obviously 
But I just remember the one song I heard on that was a very old song that you've heard probably like your grandparents hum around the house there. It ain't gonna rain no more, no more. Ain't gonna rain no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah, it was that song. They found themselves sort of having to reevaluate and evolve their format because of radio. Because now, by the 1920s, radio had started to roll out. And radio was very good at bringing broadcasts of popular music played by big bands and studios out to people so that they could listen to it whenever they wanted to. Right, yeah. Whenever it was broadcast. They had access to music over the air for free as long as they bought the radio. And the sound so, quality was like much better, too. The sound quality was better, and they had volume control. It was the same Victor Victrola company that invented electric recording and electric translation of vinyl records or wax splatter records with an electric tone arm and a speaker and amplification so that they could their product would compete with radio. And by then, they were starting to be like bands who were popular on the radio now wanted to release records. And there were companies that said, hey, we'll pay you to release a record of Frank Sinatra or Count Basie or whoever. That started an entirely new industry of recording and releasing records. That Victrola stayed in kind of, but then branched off into a couple of different companies by the 19, I don't know, early 1940s or so. And there's probably some hipster out there that'll tell you that, oh, the Victrola sounds so much warmer. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It's just not the same if you're not cranking up a giant spring. Yeah. Or what's the other word that they use? Crisp. I have no idea what that word means. Those adjectives don't mean... And I listen to vinyl records. I love vinyl Are they records. crisp? Are they warm? I, they're warm and crisp and crisp and warm. Yes, I don't even know what those mean. I have one ear that doesn't work, so everything sounds like it's in mono for me. Let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. August the 16th, 1975. Here's a, a fun name to say. Taika Waititi. Oh, yeah. Hey. Who was the director of Thor Ragnarok and the upcoming Thor movie, Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, he had a Academy Award hit, too. I don't know if he got it, though, for the film from 2020 called Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I remember that movie, yeah. And i never seen it, but I remember the name. Yeah, I saw it. I'm not sure. It's a, it's a strange film. I'm not sure how I feel about it, only because of the subject matter. It's I don't know that I enjoyed it, but I appreciated it for what it was, and there's a lot in it that I thought was interesting. So and we'll, we'll give him a lot of credit for taking the Thor movies and just pushing them in a completely like comedic yeah. direction, because Thor, the first one, and Thor, Dark World, they were okay, but way too serious. Yeah, I, I liked them, but I thought that they, they certainly took themselves more serious than they need to. Yeah, I think whenever they pushed it towards the comedic direction, while it was way different, it was certainly more enjoyable. I like that they worked in a lot of stuff from like Planet Hulk yeah. and some other things that made the story work. And they, they didn't redefine Thor, but they made Thor a lot more like the comic book character that I was comfortable, that I remember being really uh, enamored with in the like late 1980s. All right, so let's get on to the next day. Uh, August 17th, 1958, the lead singer of the Go-Go's, Belinda Carlisle is born yay and uh she went on to have a pretty successful solo career after the go-go's sort of sort of had their moment in the sun oh they they exploded they didn't just break up they exploded like the fact that they got back together many years later was a very big shock i think they were undone by a lot of a lot by substance there was a lot of factors in there and most of them began with cocaine yeah belinda carlisle had some she had some great pop songs after the go-go's like mad about you and heaven is a place on earth she sort of came up in like the la punk scene Back in the late 70s, she was originally a member of the Germs before the Germs were a band. Oh, no kidding. Traveled in that same crowd as Darby Crash. I think it was her and the drummer from the Go-Go's 
who had spent time in the germs before they played their first show or did their first record or whatever yeah. and all came out of that scene was pat smear in them in the germs at that pat, time pat, yeah pat smear in the, was in the germs oh, okay. yeah. pat smear you guys is the immortal person that never ages that ended up in uh foo fighters for a little bit you know what i want to hear i want to hear ace freely do vacation on his next cover album. yep and he'll and then show up 45 minutes late all right. Because <laughs> he's, he's on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Vacations, I have wanted, guys. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the 18th. This one threw me for a loop when I was doing my research. Because when I say to you, Virginia Dare, what do you think of? When you say to me, Virginia Dare, I think my favorite kind of pineapple soda from when I was a right. child. When we were kids, there was a soda company in our area called Virginia Dare. And that's what right. Virginia Dare is to me. I had no idea it was a person. Not only was it, oh. was it a person, Virginia Dare was born on August the 18th of 1587. She was the right. first person to be born in America from English parents. Oh, okay. First child born in the New World yeah. at the at Roanoke, right? That's what you said? And that's unfortunate, too, because uh, she only lived, as far as we know, to be about three years old. She was part of the lost colony of Roanoke. Huh. Yeah, uh, Sir John White like took off from uh, for a little while and came back to the colony of Roanoke to find everybody was gone. And this was the basis for uh, one of the seasons of American Horror Story. Oh. And if you want people to like write in and argue with me, this is the way we're going to do it. Ready? I think Roanoke was one of America Horror Story's best seasons. I don't know anything about Roanoke, but I do know about Paddle of Pine. Paddle of Pine. I've been, I've been storing that joke up. <laughs> <laughs> How often do I get to riff on Roanoke? <laughs> Jeez. So moving on to the next day, which is the 19th. August 19th, 1967, for folks of our generation, will remember MTV Music News and Tabitha Soren, who was one of the reporters who was on that show and on The Week in Rock. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. MTV Music News. <laughs> Yeah. That was when they started to break out like segments so they didn't have like Martha Quinn interview David Lee Roth anymore. It was like Tabitha Sword interviews David Lee Roth or Right. They had people specifically doing the news. Like she wasn't a VJ. She took care she was like a music journalist, her and Kurt Loder, right. Kurt Loder, yeah. And they did they were on like at what, like five minutes, I think five minutes to the hour every hour. Right, yeah. Was the way that they did it. So there was always a, it was either every 25 minutes or every 55 minutes they had a segment that was on. Yeah. She had short reddish hair at the time. Now she has like long reddish hair if you see her. She's like a mortal too. She kind of still looks the same. She does look the same. I think the Weekend Rock was like a weekly, it was like a weekly half hour show too. Yeah. So it wasn't just like the Kurt Loader of music news things. I'm, I'm trying to go back in my memory because they made that so many changes in the time that, that she was on there that it's hard to remember exactly. I think she did that one with Adam Curry. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's probably true. That was when, like MTV, when they first set it out, they just showed music videos 24 hours a day, seven days a week, except for one concert and then one special on weekends. But then like in the mid-80s, they started to branch out to... Be a little more like the authority. MTV was like the the authority for music at that point in time. MTV as a music outlet was absolutely enormous in the middle eighties. Yeah. All right, we're gonna move on to the next segment, and uh, oh, this one this was gonna be quick because what else can you say? This young man, born August the twentieth, nineteen forty, his name was Gary James Collins, 
And he, somebody has to be the first, and he was. Gary James Collins was the first person to score a touchdown on Monday Night Football. Oh. So, oddly enough, he played for the Cleveland Browns, who have not, not exactly the uh, the most successful uh, football team in, right, right. in history. That was Maybe that was like the curse of the Bambino in football. He got the first touchdown, and that was it. But anyway, yeah, Monday Night Football has been basically the standard uh, football show since 1970. Huh. High five. Well, High five, Gary. There you go. High five, yes. Five. All right, next up. August 21st, 1939, an actor named Clarence Williams III, who you may not realize you've seen in a million things, but he was most known for being a, a link on a show from the 60s and early 70s called The Mod Squad. Oh, wow. Then went on to be in, like... A ton of movies and TV shows as a character actor. If you've ever seen the movie, uh, I'm going to get you, sucker. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah. He plays Kalinga, the like the African nationalist who's married to Jan Brady. Yes. He was in Purple Rain as Prince's father. Ooh, that was a tough scene. That was a tough scene. That was a- great, great actor, though. That, I mean, literally between that and Apollonia skinny dipping. I don't remember much about that movie, but that was, yeah, that was a tough scene. He seems to be almost like a method actor. He shows so much emotion when he's able to to be a character. It's hard not to gravitate towards his performance. So happy birthday, Clarence Williams III. All right, and wrapping up the birthdays, August the 22nd, 1963, Tori Amos. In the 90s, there was this like big surge of like women performer, girl power, and not just in a pop sense. I mean, like earnest songwriting and stuff like that. You know, you had like your Melissa Etheridge, Cheryl Crow, Meredith Brooks. Well, I was, I guess it was the 90s, like later 90s, right? Yeah, well, I'm... but you know, that whole like Lilith Fair group of girls. And Tori Amos was arguably the most popular one of that group, even though she wasn't really known for her hit singles. She was like a sleeper cell for the women's revolution, yeah. yeah. I remember the, I worked at the radio station at the time the Little Earthquakes record came out. It wasn't really her first album. She had she had she, done other stuff before yeah, that. Yeah, she had and, some EPs prior to that, but I think Little Earthquake was her first full album. I, rem- I still remember the what the music director had written on the CD, which was Play Everything, which he almost never did, and then he wrote, a, this is a stun gun of an album. And it's it's one that I've, I've actually had still in rotation. I still listen to that record today. She did this weird tonal shift between Little Earthquakes, which is a very angry and angsty and powerful personal record, and the rest of them kind of aren't. Yeah, I think basically probably what happened is that she had a real lot to get off of her chest. And, you know, and she did have a pretty, you know, dark past. But I think once all those demons were exercised, I was like, all right, now what do I do? She's had some fun interviews, like, in the in the last couple of years where, you know, the interview had asked her, like, hey, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you're recording Little Earthquakes, well, you know, what would you tell yourself? She said, I'd tell myself to lighten up. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> no, 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 no. Go after Little Earthquakes and tell yourself to double down on the darkness. <laughs> um, the style of music that she does, the sort of, girl in a piano rock band thing yeah. sort of lives on in Sarah Bareilles and and some others that have a lot of the same sort of edge as that first little earthquakes record and you can feel you can see the DNA that goes back to right. to her doing like me in a gun or tear in my hand or crucify or any of the songs that came off of Little Earthquakes that were so yeah, great. Yeah, I, th- I think all of like the little girls now that gravitate towards Billie Eilish are the same, you know, are cut from the same cloth. Like their mom's Probably were really into Tori Amos, if you follow me. Or their dad. So my daughter my daughter just bought the CD used from... And I have a copy of it, but she bought her own. Oh, yeah. 
Did you ever hear her cover of Angie from the Rolling Stones? It's absolutely phenomenal. It's on the same album. It's on the Crucify EP. Yeah, seek that one out. Also on that same one is her cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit, which, I don't know, man. To me, it's just... The worst song ever. So, worst song ever this week. I told you that I've been doing this thing where I have a, I, I listen to an album a day every day and each day has its own category. Right. And I love it. You know, I'm about you know, we're like halfway through the year already, or you know, more than halfway through the year already, and I'm already hoping that there's gonna be another list for next year because I'm having so much fun with this. I'm learning so much new music. Now, right. a couple of months ago, one of the categories was an actor that became an artist. So this person was an actor and then recorded an album. Now there's lots of stuff to choose from here. And we've covered a lot of them on Worst Song Ever. And now we're covering another. Jeff, did you know that Scarlett Johansson, you know, from the Avengers and stuff, did you know that she recorded a couple of albums? <laughs> I didn't know that until yesterday, Bill, yeah. when you told me. And then I went and listened to the, one of them. Yeah, yeah. Out of all the albums I've listened to, this is one of them. <laughs> Yeah, so Scarlett Johansson recorded two albums, and it's not like she has a bad voice. It's just that she doesn't really have a lot of range. It's kind of like her singing versus Polly Shore's acting. Polly Shore is really good at playing Polly Shore, but little else. So that's that's kind of like the box we're working in here. Yes, she's she's a great actress. <laughs> I love to watch her on screen. So the song I'm going to bring up here, the, the album, like I said, it's not horrible. It's just that it's very, hmm, it's like a solid B minus for the whole album. There's no ups, no downs, no peaks, no valleys. It's just this like ah, through the whole thing. The song that I'm looking to exploit over here is, all right, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Gene Simmons doing Firestarter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. An absolutely unnecessary cover. Now, our friend Skajo over here covers Tom Waits. Tom Waits? His Scott Johansson with this like incredibly smooth voice singing a song that belongs to... <laughs> so she does a cover of I Don't Want to Grow Up by Tom Waits, which was famously covered by the Ramones who did a magnificent job, not quite like this. I listened to that song almost the whole way through before I realized that that was a cover of I Don't Want to Grow Up by Tom Waits. Yeah, I'm not familiar enough with Tom Waits' catalog to have spot his music other than everybody knows if I hear it out in the wild. See, I am I know this song because I'm a big Ramones fan, and I know the Ramones covered it. And the Ramones kind of did a pretty clean version of it. It's like very similar to the Tom Waits version. This is like unrecognizable. I don't know. Scarlett Johansson just doesn't have that... I, let me back this up. I love Scarlett Johansson. 
I think she's a beautiful woman. She's a fantastic actress. Did you see Hitchcock? No, but she, I did see her in Jojo Rabbit, which she was great in. Okay. Well, she was in Hitchcock, which is a, you know, a biopic about Alfred Hitchcock, and she plays Janet Lee. And I completely right. lost Scarlett Johansson. I only saw Janet Lee. She was flawless in that movie. Right. Why this girl was recording an album, I don't know. This album, though, to be fair came out in 2008 and she had a follow-up album that came out the following year this is long before the avengers yeah it's like four or five years before the avengers right i think she'd just done the spirit and she had done that woody allen movie and and spongebob square pants and right. some other stuff like she's kind of all over the place career-wise at this point and yeah at this point in time she was probably best known for lost in translation but she was known as you know that girl that was in the Bill Murray movie? Scarlett Johansson wasn't a household name like she is now. So No, she wasn't. So, yeah, I only listened to this album. And this album actually spawned a single. Like a single that yeah. did well. Yeah, Falling Down. I agree with you. It's not a great song. Uh, it did pretty well, though. It charted as high as I think it went. It hit 21 in America. Yeah, it hit 21 on the Billboard Hot 100. I don't know if it was out of weird curiosity or what, or if it's like... Uh, when organizations order pallets of books to make them hit the New York Times bestseller list. But. Oh, yeah, that could have been, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what was popular in 2008, so it may very well have been some little weird niche period where it fit in. The number one song for 2008 was, like, Low by Flo Rida. I have no idea what song that is. Yeah, I, I only know who Flo Rida is because he's performed on WWE, like, WrestleMania a couple of times. Yeah, and he had that other song, he had that, like, whistle song. But, I mean, the other songs that were popular at that time were, like, Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis, No One by Alicia Keys, and Lollipop by Lil Wayne. I guess she sort of falls into that weird niche of, like, almost pop. Isn't that when, like, Lindsay Lohan's record was coming out, too? And Yeah, probably. I, I'm going to just go out and say that 2008 was not my year for music. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, we're, we're Generation X, so, like, we've, we've said before, we got out of the way a long time ago, music-wise. <laughs> So, yeah, 2008 wasn't exactly my generation. Generation. All right, that will wrap up the show. But before we call it a night, I got the trivia question from earlier. Ah, that's right. Uh, the book Pinocchio was originally written in Italian. And Pinocchio was the puppet's name, but Pinocchio actually translates to something, like it means something in Italian. Right. What does Pinocchio mean? And my guess was like a little wooden asshole, but yeah. that's clearly not the right answer. Uh, nope, the right answer is pine head. If you look at the spelling of Pinocchio, there's a, like an H in there out of nowhere, so it makes kind of sense. Yeah, Pinocchio means pine head. Huh. Pine head little, well, there you go. little prick. <laughs> but that's going to do it for this week. We will see you right back here in approximately seven days. See you next week, guys. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. If you have friends, you should tell them about our show. And if you don't have friends, tell the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. 